Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze and interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. This is Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com and you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind the scenes videos and two minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So we are so excited to be sitting down with Isabel Sandoval, who is the writer, director, producer, editor, star. Am I leaving anything out? You just... Sometime production assistant. <laughs> PA, PA, exactly. coffee runner. Exactly. <laughs> who is the all of the above for the really beautiful film, Lingua mm-hmm. Franca. Uh, thank you so much for being on Bitch Talk. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. Oh, we are too. Yeah, I mean, Aaron and I, we both watched it, but we we didn't want to talk about it until we were on with you. But watching this film just really, I mean, I just can speak for both of us. We were just really, it was an emotional roller coaster. It was kind of cathartic in some ways. And I, I mean, did you have a sort of cathartic uh, process creating this film and, and acting in it as well? Certainly. I felt like I was really, because I wrote the film shortly after Trump got elected, I was halfway through writing the script. Mm-hmm. And before that, it was more of a straightforward romantic drama um, where the Alex character just didn't know that she was trans initially. And that was the main conflict in the film. But after he got elected, that really changed the premise into what it is now. Wow. That's, that's crazy to imagine if you know, the tides had turned and someone else had gotten elected um, because, because that sort of anxiety and tension is just so palpable throughout the film. And um, you did such a beautiful job of making it beautiful and, Mm -hmm. and, and quiet, but still filled with that sort of tension throughout. Thank you. Yeah. And I I wanted to ask really um, why, why was New York the setting for the film? I I feel like it could have, it could be, now, you know, San Francisco, where we're based, or Chicago, but New York really lent itself. So why was that the background for the film? Yeah, um, I live in New York, in mm-hmm. Brooklyn, but I do not live in Brighton Beach, which is the neighborhood that the movie is set. I live in the more Lena Denimish girl <laughs> part of Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> Brighton Beach has always fascinated me. I mean, the... The boroughs of New York City is, has always been fascinating because I feel like it's really in these neighborhoods that you see the different immigrant communities and ethnic communities that make up New York City. And, you know, just around me, there's Orthodox and Hasidic Jews, mm-hmm. Caribbean community, Italians, and of course, the Russian Jews in Brighton Beach. And I feel like when I, whenever I go to Brighton Beach, which is about a half hour subway ride from me, I feel like I'm whisked off to a different world at a different time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about, on the issue of being immigrants and immigration, we talk a lot on Bitch Talk about the gatekeepers of Hollywood and how important it is if you don't see yourself on screen to create those roles for yourself. So can you talk about the process of making this film and actually trying to put it out there, your first film in the States as well? Yeah, um, I was lucky that I had producers who were also Filipino immigrants and who wanted 
who supported my vision and the story that I wanted to tell. One of them is happens to be a Tony and Grammy Award winning Broadway producer, which made you know, that helps. <laughs> and yeah, that's we shot it for a little under 500k. About 70% was private equity. Uh, wow. We also got some money through grants. You know, organizations like Tribeca Film Institute, the New York Foundation for the Arts, are looking to support minority and underrepresented filmmakers with their projects and about 10% from crowdfunding. And because my first two movies have done quite well at international film festivals, uh, it was not particularly difficult to get programmed at some reputable festivals as well. And I was very, very lucky that it premiered at no less than the Venice International Film Festival exactly a year ago now. Wow. Mm. And then the partnership um, between uh, your film and Ava DuVernay's production company, um, Array, happened. Can you talk about that? And and how how did that go? It's huge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so amazing. Array and Ava first reached out to us in October. Um, at that time, we haven't yet had our U.S. premiere. So... We premiered at the AFI Fest in Los Angeles in November, and we've stayed in touch with Array. And in early summer, they officially made the offer to distribute the film in North America, and we're very, very thrilled to be partnering with Ava, who's a maverick. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. We already know her track record in championing and amplifying women of color, you know, women filmmakers. But I'm very thrilled that she's distributing Lingua Franca because I see, like myself, Ava's very much a maverick. You know, she's a woman who's created her own opportunities in Hollywood and has gotten to where she is now because of her hard work. And all, of course, her, her talent as a filmmaker, as a storyteller. And that's how I've steered my own work and my own career up to now so I want to be like Ava when I grow up (laughs) (laughs) we do too same here same here we should start a club yeah I think that's what I love about especially independent filmmaking and marginalized voices. It, it lends itself for everybody to band together and lift each other's voices up. We're not in competition with each other. It's like, if you get to tell your story, that'll make it easier for one day me to tell my story. So it really lends, you know, you came here and this is your first film in the States, but it sounds like your community, our community really backed you and lifted you up because if your voice is heard, then that means the rest of ours is as well. Absolutely. And, you know, Lingo Franca coming out of Netflix and getting all the great press that it's gotten. I hope it empowers and emboldens other you know, women storytellers and filmmakers to go out and really tell their own stories, especially now. And, and do you feel and do you have that confidence that now um, other artists can look to you and, and possibly maybe work with you? Or do you feel like that you have a sense of lifting up other voices as well now? Yeah, absolutely. I want to be able to use this opportunity. I recently just signed a development deal on a TV series with a major cable network. 
Wow. wow. Congratulations. Wow. And just like how, you know, this film has created more opportunities for me, I want to be able to help kick the door open for other Filipinx queer immigrant storytellers out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you talk a lot about uh, the depiction of trans women in the mm. Philippines as one thing, but also in films that are mainly directed by cisgendered men. Mm-hmm. Uh, so can you talk about your process and why it was so important for you to depict a, a trans woman the way you did? But also, I, I really want to focus on the sex scene, which was really impactful for me, but we can talk about that afterwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot, you know, many people are kind of shocked <laughs> at this film. I think it has to do with, it's a film that doesn't want or need to explain itself. You know, it doesn't give you too much information and spoon feed information. Mm-hmm. I tell this story on my own terms and I want the audience to meet me halfway, you know, like you mentioned earlier, there are a lot of you know trans films that have transgender characters trolled by cisgender men, and those films tend to focus on the gender transition process. There's an unhealthy fascination and obsession over that aspect of the trans experience, but that's not all there is to it. You know, it's just mm-hmm. one aspect, and so. Lingo Franca starts well after a lot of these trans films end. You know, mm. well, when the film opens, her transition is well past, you know, past her. Mm. We spend the first 10, 15 minutes in almost static long takes, just taking in Olivia and her world. So I want it to feel like an immersive experience and we're glimpsing Olivia's world through her eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, job well done on, on that front because, yeah, if, if, if I can go back to the sex scene, I've just never seen one quite like that. And you chose to, I, I mean, you feel such raw emotion. It's so intimate without even having to just show fully naked or, you know, anything like that. Mm-hmm. But the, the roller coaster of emotions that she goes mm-hmm. through facially is so powerful. I felt a, a little uncomfortable, but also comfortable. It, it just, it was, I, I've just never seen a, a sex scene quite like that. Yeah. Um, it's quite jarring because we enter that sex scene with a certain set of expectations and in terms of intimacy, but I feel like it's, there's also a tendency to fetishize and objectify women's bodies, but in particular, the bodies of trans women. Mm. And so I want the sex scene to com- be a complete antidote to that in the sense that although she, we do see her in some degree of nakedness, the focus of the scene is on her face and all those emotions playing out in them and that it becomes ultimately a character moment where we see Olivia experiencing both the sexual pleasure and that we never get to see women, especially trans women, 
experience on screen, but also the creeping anxiety and uncertainty of what she's getting herself into becoming intimate with a man who doesn't know that she's trans. Hmm. And I think it's that level of specificity and granularity of fleshing out her psyche is what makes a portrait like this compelling. And I read that that's one of the first scenes you wanted to have shot. Is that correct? Yes. I wanted to see what I've never seen done in American cinema before. Yeah. As a filmmaker, I joke to my friends that I'm a gold star minority. (laughs) (laughs) All the boxes, all the other boxes. Check, check, check. (laughs) And so... It was very important for me that approaching a story that on paper might sound like your typical tragic romance slash social issue drama to show how unique and different embracing my take on that story will be. Mm -hmm. And I also felt, if we can keep talking about the sex scene, um, I I also felt as as a woman... Oftentimes when you're having sex for the first time with anyone, you're very aware of your body. And it's, it's almost like, um, I don't know, I can speak for myself. You're, you're always aware of what you look like, how you look, how you feel. Do you look right? Are you laying the right way sometimes, right, with, mm-hmm. the, with that first person? And I could feel that through the character, whether she's trans or not. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that realness. But, it, it, I mean, it felt so real. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I think even to piggyback that, the story in general is about a very specific person in a very specific time, but it is relatable across the board. And I Mm -hmm. think it's because like you deal with so many different social issues, but I guess the intersectionality of it all, like it's, you know, there's, it's not just black and white, you're dealing with this or this, they're all connected at all times. Mm -hmm. And that's life. Yeah, and I feel because... I've gotten asked that more than a few times, you know, in terms of how unique that take it and how it feels intersectional. I mean, it wasn't by design necessarily, but because I live that reality that organically and naturally finds its way into the telling of my story. Um, I don't write characters who exist in a vacuum. My characters are very much part of the sociopolitical settings and milieus that they thrive in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that really becomes evident and palpable, especially in Olivia's story. You also taught me something, unfortunately, in this film. I didn't know that in the Philippines, uh, trans folks are not allowed to change their gender and their names on their passports. Yeah. When, uh, like, that's incredible. I can't believe it. I can believe it, I guess, because of the world we're living in, but that's insane. So fuck them. Am I Correct. To say that? I to the say. more the merrier. The more the merrier, please. Yes. <laughs> I mean, on this topic. That law did not exist before, but they went, the Philippine government and legislature went out of their way mm-hmm. to legislate bigotry, ultimately. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've said that I don't like to be preachy and didactic in my own films, but my character, Olivia, alluding to that and and talking about that in one of her scenes with Trixie, the other trans Mm -hmm. woman, is also just felt real to me. It happens to transgender Filipino women. 
um, who happen to be in the United States. Like I have my U.S. green card that shows my current name and gender marker, and then I have a Philippine passport that doesn't. And that for that reason, I was actually very, very oh. nervous about traveling outside the U.S. for the first time to attend the Venezuelan Festival last year. Mm. Since got, Trump got elected, I didn't leave the States just because you don't know what will happen. You know, I don't know what will happen. And especially for a movie like Lingua Franca, I was, to be honest, I was a little nervous about being um, taken aside at the U.S. passport control and asked, so you were traveling outside the country. What was your movie about? You know, especially because in the last two years or so, there's just every other week, you know, news or new developments that Trump signed something that attacks either trans people or immigrants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. That's so angry. <laughs> but to, thank you for sharing that story with us, though. Thank you. Yeah, I, I had no clue. And, you know, these are things that you don't think about, you know, un- unless you're, you're part of that community. And it's so infuriating. But maybe to switch gears a little bit, I wanted to talk about uh, Olivia's relationship with Olga, who's played by yeah. Lynn Cohen, who passed away earlier this year because fuck 2020. Yeah. <laughs> But but just those scenes with her, you you and her as as her caregiver, so mm-hmm. sweet. Can you talk about working with her and and just that that uh, relationship? Yeah, I love Lynn. Um, she was actually the first cast member that we attached to the film, at least a year before we started rolling. And her own parents were immigrants from Ukraine, so the first time that we met, she'd read the script, loved it. And she told me, like, this is a story that needs to be told now and that my voice was a voice that needed to be heard. And she has just been a champion. You know, for a year, we would meet you know, every few weeks or every two months just for lunch. Sometimes I would visit her apartment that she shared with her husband, Ron, and we just became friends. And I think that friendship and that connection really came through mm-hmm. in the characters that we played in Lingua Franca. They're essentially mere characters. Olivia and Olga are both immigrant women who migrated to the U.S. at different points in their lives. And although I don't, you know, belabor the point or, you know, push it too much, that is what connects them. Mm-hmm. characters in this film yeah and Isabel we'll need to wrap up but um, I wanted to ask what do you want viewers to take away um, after watching this film you know for a film that touches on the themes that Lingo Franca touches on immigration and the trans experience in the U.S. which were both very topical and urgent Lingo Franca is not a didactic film or loud or performatively angry. It's a quiet, subtle, layered, complex film. And I hope that audiences will also come to think more deeply and more critically about someone like Olivia and the themes that Lingo Franca explores. I want the film to haunt and to linger and stay with the audience for, for a long time. 
Well, I think you did that for us. So thank you so much for, right. for sharing this story and for coming on Bitch Talk. We appreciate you and we can't wait to see what else comes, comes from you creatively. Yes. yes. Yeah. Thank you. And it was such a delight speaking with you, Angela and Erin. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Such a talented Filipina. Let's go. Yeah. Keep coming. <laughs> Keep coming. <laughs> So that was our interview with Isabel Sandoval, creator of all things Lingua Franca. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited for the day when I watch a film and I see Tagalog and I see Filipinos and I don't have to get excited because it's such a rarity. But mm -hmm. until then, this was just a really special treat. And, you know, it's heavy. It deals with a lot of heavy things, but it really gave me hope for the future of film and hopefully sparking greater conversations across the board. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful film. There's a lot to think about, which is why I really love this. And it's so subtle mm -hmm. um, in the way that it makes you just think about the different layers um, that she's added to um, the story and, and to the way that she shot the film, too. Um, so it's on Netflix now. It's streaming. Um, please watch it and support and support Isabel. She's she's beautiful, and I cannot wait to see what else she has coming. I saw something about... Um, a vampire movie that's not about vampires <laughs> that she's she's writing right now, um, which sounded really interesting. But then, uh, you know, on this interview, she just talked about um, another deal for I think an episodic. She said, a TV um, show, yeah, pilot, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm excited, and th these are uh, these are again the opportunities that we talk about, um, and I'm so glad Ange did talking about gatekeepers. And um, once we have our own in there, then it's then it's sky's the limit. So um, thanks to Isabel so much for coming on the show. The movie's Lingua Franca. It's on Netflix. And thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions.